Everybody, welcome back to Monsters of Design. This is episode number two. And uh, if this is your first episode, pull up a seat, hang out with us. This is a podcast where every episode um, we tackle design problems, design things through the lens of a monster. So last episode, we talked about scope creep through the lens of the scope creep monster. And this week, we talk about egomaniac. Um, I'm going to hand it off to John, my co-host. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, like Brian was saying, this is our second episode. We are super excited. We are starting to line up a lot more. Um, We have a hit list of monsters that we are super excited to talk about. And we also have a really awesome list of really amazing people that we are going to start bringing in to talk about those monsters with us. Um, And so this week we have Kevin Tudball, who is a designer turned illustrator. And he happens to be the illustrator that is doing everything you are seeing uh, in terms of monsters of design. So all the branding all the t-shirts and stickers that we're starting to show you guys on Instagram. Uh, so definitely go follow us on Instagram at, at monsters of design. And then on Twitter at slay tame love and stay up to date on all that stuff. And I think you're going to be very pleased with what you're seeing. We're super excited. We can't wait to get that stuff and wear it ourselves and hopefully get you all fitted with some sweet shirts that Kevin has illustrated. And with that, let's get into it. Here we go. So, here it is, episode number two, Monsters of Design. Hell yes. It's a Saturday morning, we've all had our coffee, we're chilling out, just painting a picture for everybody out there. And this episode, we are going to figure out how to slay tame and love the monster known as egomaniac and with us today we have kevin tudball brian i don't know if you want to give kevin a proper intro so basically um what you all need to understand is kevin tudball is a wizard um he stands on top of a mountain and uh tracks lightning with his rod and then creates magic so what that also means is uh, Kevin Tudball um, is an illustrator, he's a graphic designer, and uh, also a creative director. And I live in Santa Cruz. I see your work, Kevin, all over the place in Santa Cruz. Um, he so is, glad. dude. So he has uh, done branding for um, some big name uh, coffee folks like Verve Coffee Roasters. Um, He's also done some branding for Cat and Cloud. These are two big Santa Cruz coffee names. Um, Kevin also went up to San Francisco and uh, I believe did branding for Four Barrel. Um, yep. So he has left a huge footprint um, in the coffee scene in terms of branding. But he's also uh, worked uh, for Caliva. Is it Caliva or Caliva? Caliva. Caliva. Uh, Caliva Cannabis, Google, O'Neill, Reef. Um, Netflix, your work is everywhere. Um, and uh, Kevin specializes in branding, packaging, apparel, and general fucking awesomeness. And um, yeah. 
we thought he would be a great person to talk to about egomaniac. Yeah, what one kind of like even I, I think what's really cool about all of this too is that when I met Kevin, probably I don't know. 13, 14, 15 years ago. So it's been a long time. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's 15. Kevin moved out here when he started his design career. And I was kind of at the beginning of my design career as well. He was at frog design and I was at a little boutique agency in the South Bay area. And, you know, we were both into music into design. And so we, we quickly became friends and it's been really cool to kind of see how we, we both started in a more traditional graphic design industry and since then, we've sort of, you know, moved out of that traditional industry. But I think we've always really connected on that design philosophy, even though I'm doing more video and photography and he's doing more illustration these days. So that's kind of where Kevin, you know, for me, it was it was like a no brainer to bring him into this when we started talking about doing it as just a clothing thing. And then it became a podcast so, you know, that's that's another really awesome reason why Kevin is here today to, you know, be our second guest and and help us take down Tame and Love Another Monster. The egomaniac. Yeah. Yes. Thanks um, for having me, dudes. Yes, yeah, thank you for being here, Kevin. <laughs> this Saturday. So, um let's uh let's let's start at Kevin. How are you doing? Like how's yeah, how's today? Yeah. How, What's how are you? Today is great, you know. Um, it's, uh, it's warm up here in Portland. Um, just got back from Michigan, visiting the family for the first time in a year and a half. I'm, I'm feeling good. It's good to be in my cozy little home. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And you just got married recently during the pandemic. I got married during during the pandemic and I bought a house during the pandemic. So I know. You know, we you. just took the the worst year ever and made it like the best year ever. So lemons That's awesome. Yeah. Lemonade. That's awesome. Exactly. What, what, what was that like uh getting married remotely? What what was that like? We thought that would be like the weirdest thing and it would be really hard to not make it feel like doing it over Z- Zoom. You know, we worried, like, will all the emotion get lost? Will it feel odd doing our vows over a computer? You know, we were together, but it was really still, like, a lot of people felt it was almost more intimate in some ways because they were right up seeing you on the camera close, and, we, you know, we could respond and talk to them. Um, And it was really, yeah, it was really special, obviously super memorable. and then, you know, when the whole thing was over and we could just shut our computer, then it was just us, which was like really nice. And we mm, yeah. got got some carry out sushi and hung out at our house. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> went, to, went to the park for a little walk. Like, this, is, this is a nice way to get married. Really, really relaxing day. That's awesome, man. <laughs> You're like, it's just more my my pace, y'all. Going to be honest. After all the partying, this is a really nice, uh, yeah, I'm just <laughs> nice like... mellow wedding. Yeah, that's great. And we could have our cat and dog there, which is always our wedding dream that could never happen. So <laughs> it worked out. The perfect um, introvert wedding. Yeah, seriously. Exactly. <laughs> and and how are you guys like enjoying or or maybe navigating is the better word, this kind of transition into a slow like a, a like a more post pandemic, you know, in the US. I don't think the rest of the world is post pandemic, but right. at least in the U.S., um, especially on the West Coast, um, 
Yeah, so you you went to you went to Michigan. You couldn't do that a year and a half ago. Like no, I was like how, know, yeah. How did all that the, feel? Oh, it felt like it felt like drinking a gallon of coffee or something. Like it was <laughs> like it was like a little overwhelming, and you're like buzzing and feel kind of good, but also kind of like freaked out at the same time. You know, like going into the airport. Yeah, and then just being surrounded by tons of people. Yeah, and then getting on an airplane, all crammed together, and then uh, you know, getting home, and I just spent like seven straight days of socializing with family and friends after a year and a half of just <laughs> you know being in your house and seeing like a person every once in a while. It was really like a rush. Um, yeah. But after like after like three or four days, I felt like you know it just started to feel normal. But those first few days were just like whoa. Just like intensity, yeah. yeah. I bet. Overall, just you know, human contact is a good thing. Uh, you know, I got my <laughs> year of introvert introvert activity, and now I'm. It's turned yeah. you into an extrovert a little bit, yeah, probably. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we'll see. <laughs> I uh, I went um to uh, Abbott Square last night in Santa Cruz, which is mm. sort of like an you know an outdoor um situation where you can have drinks and stuff and um i think this was like my first real um you know social engagement and um yeah i'm still recovering from it to be honest so your boy had uh two whole loggers went real crazy (laughs) went real fucking crazy (laughs) and um i'm i woke up this morning and i feel like the titanic hit the iceberg and my Mm. body is just Mm. like what did you Mm. do to me two beers yeah. and it's like dude we didn't go that hard we hit we didn't hit an iceberg we hit an ice cube okay like <laughs> like you're, you're you're fine you're you're chilling um and people were but so last like, night oh yeah. you were king of the world dude two beers wild <laughs> shit actually the fact that i'm hung over after two beers like i'm a gay man during pride month like that's kind of homophobic okay so it's like come on man um, but yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Like people have totally forgotten how to people watch. So like I was trying to people watch and like, we're all just staring at each other too mm-hmm, long. Mm-hmm. Totally. It's yeah. just great. <laughs> it's just so fucking unhinged. All right. So we, we have a monster that we're going to build a relationship with. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes. that, re- that monster, do it. that monster is a fucking egomaniac, which yeah. is great because the monster is called egomaniac. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, and what I think when we were we have like our hit list of monsters, and it's probably about ten or twelve deep right now. So we've got plenty of material coming at you guys over the next few months. But this one was really important to us to touch on first, partly because we brought it up during the scope creep one, the the first episode, and it kind of came up a little bit. And when Brian and I were talking about it, we're like, oh, let's let's make sure we really hit on the point that these monsters are not clients. They are things outside of designers and clients that both the designer and client deal with either on like an, an, you know, internal level, or if it's sort of like that external cloud that hangs over the whole project. And so we kind of want to make that point that these, we're not hating on clients. You know, what we're really trying to do is just unpack these issues that we deal with and, and creatively speak to them yeah. as if they were monsters yeah. and ego is great because that's definitely something that as designers, we can say, Oh yeah, we have to deal with that <laughs> because it's really, 
easy when you're in a quote unquote creative industry. Uh, and I definitely say quote unquote, because all of us bring creativity into whatever we're doing to make a living. But this one it's, it's, you know, for the most part, it's things we see visually or, 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 you know, auditorily. And I think it's easy for us to go, look what I did. Look how pretty that is. I'm so proud of it. And then you start developing an ego and you're, and you're, before you know it, you're, you're an asshole to the people you work with. And, you know, that can go for clients and designers. And so Mm -hmm. I think if we can separate it from, you know, who we are and and the great work that we do, we can kind of unpack it a little bit and, you know, get a little bit better at what we do. So Kevin, when we talk about, when we, when we talk about the monster egomaniac, What's some of the first things that come up for you? You know, I was thinking about <clears throat> I was thinking about it a lot this week, um, and it quickly went from "Oh, this is such an awful thing" to like again, just like your last episode. This is a thing that requires some balance. Um, so, like right off the bat, you know, it's like your initial gut response is almost like when you hear like the emotion jealousy, you're like, Oh, ego bad. It's just bad. It's not no good. There's no room for it. But I think there's the need to have a little in our industry. It's both necessary and an awful thing. My, my first thought went to, you know, you're young, you're, you think your stuff is just so amazing right off the bat, even though it's like, pretty rough like when you're first starting out i look back at my early portfolio and it's like ooh, i was i was feeling cocky about this stuff all right um (laughs) you know and then you start to get good and i i found when i would have something that was a success or something that you know got reposted a lot or bought by a ton of people um and you know i was getting a lot of compliments on it yes, my ego was getting bigger, but also it was preventing me from doing more work. I started getting really, I started getting scared to make another thing because what if it didn't live up to that? And I think that's, I think that's really tied into ego. If you didn't, if I didn't have the ego that I was trying to preserve, then I'd be more willing to like make some mistakes and just create like when, when you are younger and you're just like, everything I'm making is awesome. Who cares? I'm just going to put out any like song or any art piece or any design into the world because why not? Um, you know, so I think ego can really stand in the way, especially in the age of social media. Um, and then just to flip yeah. it is without any ego. You know, I know amazing designers and artists who are just like, I don't really post anything. I'm not very good. They like don't have any ego, and you're like. Dude, just get get a little bit of ego because like yeah, you're yeah. amazing, and just show everyone how good this is. Get a little bit of that, you know, ego and like self esteem are kind of tied together in a little way. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I almost feel like you know it's it's good to understand you know the separation between ego and confidence, and I think that you know ego it's obviously it's like a self centeredness. But then confidence, which I think you're you're kind of getting at, I think you actually have to have a sense of humility to be confident. And I think that's yeah. what's interesting. It's like, what's at the root of that? And if you're like, I'm self-centered, I'm better than you, I deserve this ego. But if right. you're saying, like, I'm humble, like, I'm just a, a piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. um, 
you actually start developing a confidence that looks a lot different than ego. I mean, I know something I'm constantly working on. There's so many times in meetings that like, I have to like pull back and like, I start feeling like I'm the expert in the room. I'm the one that, that knows the best thing to do. Maybe that's the case in some ways, but just because someone might not have the exact experience I have doesn't mean they're not able to speak to what the best thing is to do in that moment as a team. And I think that humility brings that confidence. You can be confident in yourself and the people you're working with, you know, that, um, you know, I'm really resonating John with one of the things you just said and Kevin, you were kind of touching on it too, is, you know, this developing a confidence, um, and how that requires humility and so much, so much of our journey developing our specific craft as designers, artists, creatives, um, is getting to an honest assessment of our capabilities and being very, being very clear about what we can do and what we can't do. Um, and ego, man, that is, ego has gotten in my way a lot. Um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, an illustrator. I'm not a graphic designer. This more shows up with words as I'm you know writing for a client, but oh man, just like just ego, yeah, messy bitch. Ego maniac is just a messy <laughs> bitch, um, and it has yeah. So as Kevin, as you know, you were developing and refining your own voice as an illustrator. What did your relationship with your ego look like back then? I think, um, you know, I think right out of art school, I had a little bit more of an ego, which maybe, you know, it's again, I keep, I keep fighting for like, is there something good about ego? (laughs) You know, I had the ego out of art school, which gave me enough confidence to be like, no, I can apply to all these companies on the West Coast. They should all probably want me. I draw these <laughs> these great cartoons that are you know that that are decent and <laughs> and they should all want me. Um, you know, I applied to thirteen companies and I got one job offer. Um, mm-hmm. You know, puts your ego in check a little bit, but at the same time, I just feel like when you're young, you just got so much of that fire that keeps you like from letting that beat you down you know so once i was on the west coast it was again like no i'm i'm so good once these they're probably just not seeing my applications like i gotta <laughs> you know i just got i'll just keep applying and uh, you know someone will eventually see how how good i am and i think you know eventually once you've had your work critiqued enough by coworkers or by bosses or clients you start to get a little more realistic about oh yeah i have a lot to learn oh yeah mm-hmm. i'm only 22 i have some <laughs> i have some totally. you know i gotta put in my ten thousand hours I've, yeah I've yeah put in my, my like i put in my four years of art school i think i'm really good i haven't done ten thousand hours of client work or anything yeah. like that but we have um, the talent the talent's enough kevin we're talented right? and yeah. people tell I, me i'm I, talented yeah, I just I just heard another illustrator say like to his podcast audience, "Well, yeah, we can all draw. Yeah, we we can all draw, but that's not that's not like what's going to get you mm-hmm. clients and you know, you have yeah, to have the ideas, yeah. you have to build the brand, you have to do all these other things. Like 
yeah, we're all illustrators because we can draw. That's why you illustrate, but that doesn't mean you're a great illustrator. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. think um, the ego has ebbed and flowed and I know you're, you're probably going to do an episode on this, but it, you know, when it, when it ebbs and flows and it gets really low, you start to, can start to slip into imposter syndrome mm. You can start to feel like I'm not actually a good illustrator at all. Why did I think I was so good? You know, it's uh yeah, it's like a little bit of a roller coaster with ego. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. You know, I remember when you and I can't remember if these are back to back what you were at Frog Design in the Bay Area and then you went to O'Neill Next. Was that the next thing yes. you did? Yeah, yeah O'Neill Next. Yeah, I remember you went down things like San Clemente or something. You were down mm-hmm. there and I remember coming to visit you with some friends and you were kind of like you know, we were like, oh, like, tell us about all this. Some of your coworkers, we all went out and uh, you were telling me about all the in-store displays and stuff you were designing. And I was just like, holy shit, dude, this guy is like killing it right now. Like he's designing stuff that are going in these surf shops and these like really awesome, you know, photographic designing kind of things that were up on the wall and light boxes and I mean, for me, if the, if I was in that space, and I think we were probably like still early mid twenties at that point, and yeah, I think I was twenty four when I started. Yeah, there. like if that was me, I mean, I was still kind of figuring stuff out and going between video and graphics, and it hadn't quite like hit on what I really love to do yet. Mm-hmm. I would have definitely been dealing with some ego. Like, did that job and that brand that you work for? How how did that maybe specifically? you know, bring that monster into the room or, or how did it actually yeah. maybe, you know, help you work oh, I think it? it? I think it was definitely present. And again, looking back at my, my work from that time, it's like, oh yeah, I mean, it was with a team. It was more corporate work. Some of it was, you know, just like a photo of someone surfing with a logo on it. So it wasn't necessarily my yeah, most yeah. like impassioned creative <laughs> work. Um, but at the same time, there's definitely a little bit of that bragging, like, yeah, I work yeah, for O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I work <laughs> for a surf company. No yeah, big yeah. deal. I'm I'm killing it. I, <laughs> you know, I think there was a lot of that early on um, before I started working in coffee where I thought it was all about what name I could get on my resume. Mm-hmm. Like, what, mm-hmm. yeah. what are, the, you know, if, if I can brag about where I'm working, that's, like, pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and then to go to copy where half the people I would tell, oh yeah, I work for Verve and Verve's pretty huge now, but at the time they had like one shop in Santa Cruz and I got hired when they're opening their next two in Santa Cruz. It's like anyone outside of Santa Cruz, yeah, I work for Verve Copy and they're like, Wait, what? Like I thought <laughs> I thought you were doing like yeah, I thought you were doing. I thought you were doing really good. Like, weren't you at O'Neill? Like, oh, are you like? Oh, you're pouring coffee. Aggressing. Like, like, yeah. So I was like, that was a little bit of an ego hit, which is funny because now it's like one of my most proud um, things I've worked on. But it's still one of the things that brings me the most client work are people who have seen my Verve uh, designs. Um. Mm-hmm. But at the time, there was that little hit to my ego where I was really proud of the work I was doing. But, you know, when I would tell someone back home, oh, I work for a copy roaster, there wasn't that name recognition. 
there yeah. there wasn't the same as excitement yeah. as when I said like, oh, I work for O'Neill, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, yeah, that's everywhere. And or yeah. even with Frog, people might not know the name, but then you list the clients you're working for, and you're just like all these tech companies, and people are just like, whoa. You're you're doing amazing stuff. And you're like, yeah, I guess I'm I'm doing some corporate logo placement and some, you know, I'm not excited. I'm not necessarily excited about the work, but I really am feeling that people are stroking my ego. That's really nice. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was kind of thinking about, you know, following that that this this way we're trying to work through these monsters and sort of unpacking it like we've been doing, and then it moves into that sort of like tame category and it's interesting because i feel like you were kind of getting into how almost the your bout with the monster known as egomaniac tamed Mm -hmm. you in a way because it sort of it caused you to like actually say like no i am really the one who's like dealing with this monster right now it's not my client it's not my coworker. it's it's me and i'm owning that now and that mm-hmm. is the only way I'm able to start like taming this. Like you haven't fully embraced it necessarily. Yes. Right. Yet, in, in a way that like it can be healthy. You're alluding to that, but sure. it's, it's interesting. Like maybe you could speak to that a little bit. Like how has this, how has, how have these situations helped you sort of tame that monster? I think in in looking back at some of the stuff I just said, it started like reminding me of some different things. I think the early on in my career um, decisions, they were always, they were always a little bit ego based because I always viewed it as, you know, what can I tell people? Um, You know, what, when I tell people about my career, when I tell people what I've done, is it going to sound cool? Is it going to like, impress people Mm. and i think some of the best career decisions i've made were when i could check the ego and set it aside and go like are you happy are you like enjoying yourself are you feeling fulfilled because when i did that you know that's when i did end up at verve but in between that period in between o'neill and verve I went and worked as a barista for a year and almost completely stopped designing. I was doing some freelance, but you know, that, that was like a bit of a a gut check for me. Um, you know, when I sit, when I set the ego aside and then I, I, you know, I go back home or I, you know, I tell some friends or family, yeah, I'm just working as a, a barista, like a little coffee shop. No, it wasn't even Verve yet. It was the Abbey. Oh, the um, Abbey. That's maybe where I actually first... That's where we first met. That's where we first yeah, met. Yeah, and that yeah. was a little bit of like an ego check. Like, all right. I I felt like I had to... I felt like I had to kind of like step down, like go down and then start the climb over because I realized I was kind of going up the wrong ladder. Um, And I think a lot of that probably had to do with ego wanting to look like my career was really good wanting to like find a way to like make good money um Mm. you know important things but in order to look at like okay are you happy what would actually make you happy is it making fulfilling work because you don't you can actually do that at really small companies who no one's ever heard of Mm -hmm. you can have a lot of fun and you can make a living 
you know, you might not make as much money, but you might be more creatively fulfilled and down the line that can pay off. Yeah. Um, man, the Abbey, I have a quick aside about the Abbey. So some of my closest friends have come from the Abbey. So I, I really want to make that oh. clear. Um, <laughs> and I had some of my best, you know, coffee there. Um, you know, you had to have a really developed skill set to work there and um, really good, good shit there. So they are attached to this, uh, you know, church, uh, vintage faith. And I remember when I was there and I was like talking to some of the baristas and I was like, you know what? I'll look them up on Facebook and just see what's what. So, you know, this like church coffee shop, it's, it, it was its own coffee shop, but it was attached to this church. Uh, still secular inside. Um, but I looked them up on Facebook and you look at like where they're located. Somebody had put it in incorrectly and that what they failed to realize is there is another abbey in california oh, in la in la the gay bar yeah yep. <laughs> and in la <laughs> and you, you were pumped yeah oh my god i was i was like this is the gay You're agenda like, here we i go. was like listen motherfuckers <laughs> this is my house now and uh and i didn't tell anybody for a minute like i was yeah. just like oh god and every time you'd go into the abbey's facebook page it would bring you to um the gay bar oh god it yeah was, it was i definitely incredible. got some messages from some friends in la who were like dude i didn't i didn't realize like that's, cool, that's awesome I, i'm so stoked <laughs> for you in this life path like yeah, yeah. i'm open <laughs> um but uh i really miss their cookies anyways so shout out to Marilyn Biggers. okay um so but yeah, so, you know, you're working at the Abbey. Um, and what what were some of the steps that, like, got you to the Abbey? Like, I know for me, when work has dried up and I've had to do other things, that just a number of things have shifted. And, oh boy, I really do come into contact with my own ego. Um, like, yeah, what was, like, what, what was the road that got you there and then back into uh, design work? You know, I did the uh, I did the quarter life crisis, leave my job in the middle of uh, a recession, and go travel around Australia. Move, fuck yeah! You know, the one that all, we all do that, right? Fuck um, yeah! <laughs> su such a typical thing that I totally did the um, yeah, just like quit my job. I was like, I need to do some soul searching. I need to figure out like like what am I doing? Um, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, once I was at O'Neill, I was like, well, this is it. I just, all I have to do is get out of the marketing department over to the t-shirt department. Yeah. And then like, <laughs> I'm good for the next like 40 years of my career. Right. Um, <laughs> then I started realizing like, huh, do I want to make just like t-shirts for the next 40 years? Is that like, where am I, what am I actually doing? Like, what's my actual long-term goal here? Um, you know, so that was uh, between between that and getting to the Abbey. I just spent a few months roaming around, journaling and drawing all the time, brainstorming. Like, like I have a journal that's all filled from my trip in Australia, and it's all career thoughts. There's like no personal journaling. Mm. It's all like, what do I want to do with my career? Am I wanting to be an artist or a designer? Because that's like a very different path. Um, and I think a lot of designers bring their like artist ego into it 
like, no, this should be about me. And like, you know, my, especially for illustrators, like my illustration should be front and center. And you're like, well, that's more of like an artist. That's more of uh, you know, you're not solving a problem for someone necessarily hmm. when you're bringing like your ego from your own creative work over there. Um, so, you know, I think I had to take a step back there and just kind of assess that and go like, okay, if you want to do design, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, my dream was always to be a freelancer. Uh, and I started thinking like, okay, well, you're not really freelancing. You're, you're like working your way into some of these bigger companies. If you want to be a freelancer, you're going to have to take that risk sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, so, scary. You know, the risk is scary. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. And that was, you know, quitting my job was like probably the biggest risk I ever took because it was 2010. It was like yeah. right in the recession. Um, and when I got back from Australia, like a buddy of mine named Brian and in, um, in Santa Cruz hooked me up with a job at the Abbey. Um, and that just became an, that essentially became an extension of the Australia trip. It was a way for me to make money, but it was like a full year to a year and a half of just working at a coffee shop, doing as much drawing as I could outside of it, doing like making music, recorded an album. It was just like creative time. Like, okay, you you shaved off a lot of the things that were like we're stroking your ego and making it bigger now. It, it almost like felt like, okay, now I have the freedom. I've like been able to like, I cut off like the, the ego off me and I mm-hmm. could just make stuff without thinking so much about who's going to see it or what are people going to say. Um, and then when I applied at Verve, I applied as a barista and they saw my, they saw my resume was all design work and it just kind of, kind of uh, seamlessly transitioned into me being their designer but without taking that risk which if you have too big of an ego like at the time it was like set the set the ego aside take that risk and it actually led to probably the smartest career move i could have made um that you know that jump to verve was like the biggest transition piece for me it's it's so funny how the Abbey, I've known several people who they started working there as like a figure it out stage and mm-hmm. like in this sort of like transitional phase of their life. And they've gone on to, um, that was like, that was a very vital milestone for them to like go on yeah. to a much bigger career or even move forward in the coffee industry and become a big man yeah. in coffee. Like, a lot of yeah. people went from the Abbey to Verve to, um, you know, other 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 outfits, and are some of the best, um, you know, baristas around. Uh, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, that's amazing. So you're at, so you get to Verve, and then things kind of get jump started again. Yeah. yeah, because you know we were we were shaping this brand. They had they had a logo. They had they had a branding like they had a branding package from a design agency in san francisco um but other than that we were like building this brand together and it was a lot of you know it felt like a lot of friends just like working on projects together there wasn't a lot of ego involved um 
you know, I think eventually it crept back in once Verve started getting more like notoriety and people started seeing my work. And that's, that's when, yeah, like the ego comes back and starts <laughs> yeah, to go like, oh, I'm, I'm back. I, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna creep in. Um, it's, it's not a one and done. It's, no, it's an ongoing no, it, battle. It totally like, <laughs> yeah. What? Push it away. It comes right back when you're doing good. Mm-hmm. This, you know, this question's for Kevin. I think, this is a good thing for all of us, but um, including our listeners, um, Kevin. Without I don't know breaking an NDA or anything, um, what was s- some of your most meaningful rejections you experienced um, mm. in terms of the work, in terms of pitching work, in terms of whatever whatever comes up for you when I say that? Like, yeah. Um... I mean, right away, there is some of that um, being an illustrator is kind of that perfect hybrid of being a designer and an artist at the same time. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're you're bringing your own style into the work, so you're really you're really attached to that, and you you're kind of a little more precious about it. Um, and then at the same time, you're illustrating for a client. You're trying to develop like a look for them, something that is, you know, speaks to their brand. I think at, at Verve, it was like a great growing and like learning experience. Or I'm sure I can't think of, I can only think of one specific design off the top of my head, but you know, you might pitch an idea that you're really passionate about. It's like one of your art pieces and it's, nope, that doesn't work for us. It's just not right. And you're, you know, you're like, oh, what? I mean, I think it is. I think it is right. I think it's right for you. Um, <laughs> yep. You know, definitely those moments can feel like a bit of rejection. Um, it's important to have your work critiqued as much as possible, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially early on, like in art school, it was like daily critiques in my studio classes. And that's the early on when you're like 18 and first showing your work and you get it criticized. It's such a, like, a, Oh God, really? Mm-hmm. Like they didn't like this. Don't you realize I'm a genius, right? Yeah. That I'm was 18. me in creative writing at uh, UCSC. I feel like that critique is such a good like tool. It's like a weapon. And like, I always yeah. pull it back cause it's fun for me to like bring the analogies into it. But like, totally, you know, like, it, it is one of those weapons you can like go after and like really, mm-hmm. you know, slay, tame, whatever that, you know, these monsters and, and critique is that thing. And I, I it's kind of interesting, even for like future episodes, I kind of want to like identify those things and maybe Kevin, totally. you can make stickers representing these weapons. Like they're things you'd get I, while playing Zelda. <laughs> I mean, the best for me though, like the best critique is mm-hmm. a critique feedback, whatever you want to call it that's centered around how can I, whatever I'm going to say, it needs to be focused on motivating the person to keep doing the work. Mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, I feel that's like that, important. that's some of where the special sauce is. Um, if you, cause sometimes people's ego comes out when they're offering critique and yeah. Sure. When they're Especially doing if that, it's your peer. If, if it's your a client. peer, if it's a peer, a client, or whoever, yeah, that ego can come out, and 
it can be very harmful. It can be very damaging because the worst thing you can do is offer critique in such a way where it totally discourages the other person from doing work or, you know, plans seed of doubt. And sometimes that's good, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes that's a good space to be in as a professional. I would say it's when you're first cutting your teeth, it's probably a lot more harmful when you have a lot more insecurity. Yeah. I think that's Mm -hmm. mostly when you're around your peers and you're, you know, you get like, okay, let me critique your stuff. If it looked more like mine, it would be good. Let me me give you an example of what you can do. Yeah. Look at my laptop over here. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, I see your painting with green, but it should be blue. Okay. Yeah. yeah, And I remember at that period, too, like, we'd get really petty about... About like uh, like oh t- me and my buddy we were both illustrators and we would get frustrated with each other like dude you painted the eyes on your character the same way as the eyes on mine that's not cool like that's my signature eye look <laughs> like that's gonna be my thing People oh are gonna yeah know me for those eyes like you can't do eyes that way the big so just looking back and being like oh my god yeah. we we're so dumb the, what <laughs> a big uh oh uh, uh I think a big sign is somebody who is still finding their voice or finding their work is yeah. somebody who's yeah who says like i'm just you know i don't want to show you because i don't want i don't want this work to get stolen like i don't want yeah. you know right i don't want to steal my work i don't want you know anybody to steal it and i'm like yeah that's when i was in art school i emailed this artist in la who just did the most amazing illustrations and they had all i don't i still don't know exactly how he did them there was like layers of like resin and screen printing and there was drawing and it was just so interesting. And so I reached out to him and just said, Hey, like, would you mind like just kind of telling me your process a little bit? I'm so curious. It's so interesting. It turns out so cool. And he wrote back and said, absolutely not. You <laughs> will lift, you will lift my process and yeah. then my work won't be like special anymore. Like you'll, you know, if someone knows how I do this, then that's it for me. I thought, like, yeah, that's, that's so, so weird. I'm like, I don't know, I'm a student learning. And then I met a different illustrator also in L.A. in person. And I said to him, like, hey, like, I was wondering your process. I've talked to another artist who didn't want to share it with me. It's totally cool. I just really love your work. And he was like, an artist wouldn't share that with you? That's <laughs> garbage. Like, what do you want to know? I will tell you everything. Wow, I will tell you everything I do. Like I, yeah. you're not even if you drew the same thing I drew, it's going to look different. It doesn't matter. What's right there? You just basically proved that ego and confidence are polar opposites. Because yeah. to to have like that person was confident that what they sure. did was good enough that if everyone knew their process, it wouldn't matter. And the other person yeah. was not like definitely not trying to pass judgment, but what it sounds like is that person didn't feel enough confidence in their work to share that yeah. process. I think that's really interesting. Totally. You know? And actually that first artist, I can't find his work anymore. I think he I think he folded and stopped doing it. And the second artist is still going strong, still a huge name. I was gonna say I, I, I feel like, you know. Go, going into the fantasy worlds of, of, of monsters, I feel like an ego can often be like a fork in the road. Like it's like you can you can go the ego mm-hmm. route, but if you go the other route, like you might end up somewhere a lot better. And usually like you will, 
Like it almost yeah. seems like this choice. It just makes me think of each each time I kind of learn something when I hit a fork in the road like that. And it's like when I left Verve and went to Four Barrel. This is like probably like just a little mini ego moment. And but Four Barrel, Four Barrel is a coffee shop in San Francisco. Just in San Francisco, yeah. yeah, and. And I thought, okay, well, they're hiring me because they, they loved the work I did at Verve, which was true. Um, so they might, they probably just like want me to just keep drawing the way I've been drawing. And of course, as an illustrator or designer, you eventually learn like, no, they need their own look. So like day one, they said like, okay, cool. So you need to start developing a different mm-hmm. style of illustration for us. Uh, and I, how did that, yeah, how did that like, feel? Yeah, that, that was like that fork in the road of like, oh shoot like wait what i thought you wanted me for this really just this cool style i do <laughs> and it's like you know now i'm like the eyeballs i make it. yeah like <laughs> <laughs> it's like each each client obviously needs their own their own vibe and feeling and it might have your touch on it but that was that moment of like all right well i guess i could just do go that. with the ego and say, I quit. I'm going to go freelance then, and I'm just going to keep doing the same thing I did for Verve for everyone else. Like, I yeah. I loved what I did. And instead, you know, I went on them with this on this journey for a few years and started developing a way different style. Like, it's completely different from Verve. Um, and now stepping back, I'm like, wow, now I have, like, two really distinct things mm-hmm. in my portfolio that are very different stretched my illustration muscles it pushed me to like learn to draw in different ways um you know usually those moments are like if you go with the ego you're not getting the opportunity to grow yeah i I think this has all been like really awesome and uh it's cool i feel like these these conversations were kind of like naturally going through that thought process of breaking it down kind of you know learning how to deal with it and then really embracing it at the end um, mm-hmm. and you know, now that we've kind of gone through that, I think we're at that point in the episode where we need to put Kevin on the spot oh, and shit. ask him about oh. his favorite superhero. Oh, oh no. You know, he <laughs> deliberately, he's going to, he, Kevin, I just want to let you know, this is a safe space. So if you're like, <laughs> Hey, I, you already, uh, you already know everybody has a favorite. Okay. Superhero. But we also have everybody to does. ask. Okay, we're going to ask that, but I also want to ask favorite monsters. Mm. I was wondering if Ooh. you would ask this. I was like, I was thinking on that the other day. Okay, yeah, you get to pick favorite superhero or favorite monster. And it's like a, a real monster, not like a, I mean, like a, in fiction. I think with favorite monster, I'm really drawn to like Nosferatu. Oh, that version of Dracula. Look at that. Like a vampire. It's tough because I don't want to say vampire because it just, I think of all the movies in the last like 15 years and I'm like, oh, God. What they, you know, what vampires have become. It's just like, no. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But when I think of like that black and white Nosferatu with like his fangs are like in the middle and they're all like long Mm -hmm. and gnarly looking and he's like bald, just like. You know, complete opposite of sexy. He's just a disturbing vampire, and I'm like, yeah, yeah there it is. Totally. Yeah, I like the old. I, whenever I do those um, draw Halloween months, and I'm drawing all the different monsters, 
I always am looking at like the old black and white films for like monster inspiration. Just totally. Yeah. Dude. They make monsters too sexy now. It's not, it's not right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I can go down a whole. Okay. I need John. What's your favorite monster right now? Man. This is a hard one. I haven't thought about this. Well, so actually I think it kind of works and it's still a comic book, but it's swamp thing. Oh my God. My boy. I I finally got around to the Alan Moore. Great. Is he growing, uh, is he growing yams and growing potatoes and giving it to her? Book one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but it's, oh man. So good. I never got into it. I remember as a kid, there was that movie, right? Like that, West Craven that one, came out. the West Craven, yeah, and like that movie it, rules. Yeah, and like, man, I, I, it's been so long since I, I watched it as a kid, and I just haven't even thought about it since then. I didn't realize it was West Craven. Now West Craven. Okay, again. really quick, everybody. Okay, yeah. there are two Swamp Thing movies. One of them is by Wes Craven. It's the first one. It's before the Alan Moore run. It fucking rules. You need to go watch it. It's like ninety minutes. I think the second one, Return of the Swamp cool. Thing. Don't watch that. Bad time. <laughs> yeah. A little racist. But watch the Wes Craven one. Okay, continue, John. Cool. No, that was... Yeah, that, I read that in the last year or so, and a friend lent it to me. This always happens. People lend me a book to read, a comic, and it sits on my shelf for like two years, and I finally read it. But I finally got around to it, and I was just like, holy cow, this is amazing. And it's like... Yeah, just the the... like the depth to that character and like the concept of the story where it's like, it's not him, but it is him. Anyways, yeah. you have to understand that you was have there to a swamp it, thing but... TV show. Yes, there was, that. there were several. Okay. I can, That's I am ready to talk about this. Okay. I feel like I'm remembering <laughs> watching it in like the late eighties. It was on the 90s. USA network. Yeah. USA okay. network. Yes. There we go. And the same guy who played it in the USA network played swamp thing in those movies so he was like a swamp thing yeah that was his career and gave me nightmares and that was okay my wife and i were talking about this last night where she was like we're talking about scary movies and like when you watch the movie as a kid and everyone's like oh this this movie's fucked me up and then she was like yeah but then there was legend and i watched legend as a kid the ridley scott tom cruise vehicle yeah yeah oh my god you know tim curry playing that like devil devil and she was like that was terrifying and it gave me nightmares but i loved it wait and, hold like, on i love hold watching on. scary movies now yeah i'm gonna be unhinged Keep, that's just, what swamp thing was for me wait where is it i think i still kind of have okay, nightmares about that it's it's like anyways I i'll be it. right back hold on love me a good monster hence the name of this <laughs> podcast <laughs> totally wait so yeah, now man. we're waiting for brian What's okay Brian's? you know what i have yeah. The director's oh, yeah. edition of Legend. Nice. Because the theatrical cut yep. isn't as great, but the the, the, the director's cut of Legend mm-hmm. is fucking great. It's hard to get. It's only on DVD. Yep. Um, Legend's a weird movie. It's still, even the director's cut. It's amazing. Yeah. It's beautiful to look well, at. Well, the soundtrack it's, is different. Yeah, Tangerine cut. Dream, I think, did. There you go. Yeah. The, the you, I can't believe you and my wife have not met because the fact <laughs> that you love it on that level, yeah. you and her will just be talking for hours. Because that's the exact same thing for her. She's like, Tangerine Dream, that's what makes this amazing. Tangerine so, Dream, yep. Yep. Um, wow, sorry. I just like... 
I love it. That was awesome. That was great. What's your so? What's your favorite monster right now? Uh, so it's always changing, right? Um, right now, I'm definitely in Kaiju Land. So uh, my boy Gamera. Gamera mm-hmm. is a is a big old turtle. He has jet engines. Mm-hmm. He can fly. <laughs> what y'all need to do when if you're listening to this, if you've made it this far, type type in Gamera G A M. E R A, and just look what Google Images throws you. My boy is just a homie <laughs> and a half. Right Here's the thing: homie I don't like turtles. Oh yeah, that's a good monster. He's a great monster. He's a good boy, man. He was first appearance um, in 1965. Yeah, and there was a recent trilogy in the 90s that fucking rules. Um, he was created by uh, a uh, one of the main rivals to Toho. So, kind of their response to Godzilla, and um, and he's good. He's so great. I want like a major Gamera resurgence. He's so fucking cool. And the difference between Gamera and Godzilla is Gamera's more consistently heroic. Um, and it's it's great. From now on, it's going to be because you know we've we've exhausted our favorite superhero monster unless that probably will yeah, always be, be changing i think for us. i you think guys have to answer every week every dude month. i will talk about oh next next episode i yeah. promise you i'm gonna have a fucking different monster this is why <laughs> i did this podcast originally i thought it was gonna be about monsters about, you didn't realize it was about design i was like ah oh, fine um so i think a good way to to end this out though is some some like little nuggets of what's what's to come, especially since we got Kevin here. Oh, I think right. we should give a little preview oh. Oh, into some of the monsters. Maybe just the even the next one. So what will I guess people are gonna see what this one looks like when they hear the episode. So we'll leave it to that. But the next one we want to talk about is the hoverer. Mm. Brian, you want to unpack that one a little bit and Kevin maybe can speak to what, oh, what it's gonna look like. My so I just need Oh yeah. <sighs> I am so okay. The hover. and there's a there's a pre pandemic hover, I want, and then there's a, a, a pandemic S- hover, and I'm really curious okay. to what that does okay. to the future state of the hover. So the hover, my <laughs> my idea was, it's a hover is kind of inspired by King Ghidorah, you know, mm-hmm. our golden dragon boy from Godzilla, and as you know, King Ghidorah has three heads. Because he mm-hmm. just goes a little too hard. He needs one head, but he has three. Um, <laughs> and those three heads are just leaning over. You know, one's thinking really hard. One's frowning and pointing. One's squinting. Mm-hmm. None of the heads are on the same page. But mm-hmm. they're watching you. They're hovering. They're right in your face. Mm-hmm. And you're like, bruh, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm excited because it's King Ghidorah inspired. Yeah, yeah, and that that was that was kind of a, the the perfect storm of of creative ideation in that moment. We were all talking about this, and it's kind of like three heads, and Brian was like, <gasps> "I, I know like, exactly what this is." I and like, he like pulled up pictures. <laughs> I like. <laughs> I totally so had excited. this like exorcist moment where yeah. when I realized that my body convulsed I like snapped in half and I was like oh my god I'll be right back and then I like <laughs> crawled away came back and was like King Ghidorah yep, and I was yep. salivating I was extremely and, excited 
What what I think people, you know, I, we we have a guest that we're lining up, and you know, I think you guys are going to really enjoy the episode. And I think what's going to be interesting about the conversation is, like I was saying, what, what we all kind of know that you know, there's that Tumblr blog of hovering art director and hovering creative director, whatever it is, and so we're all pretty familiar with that. And I think mm-hmm. it's interesting to hear, you know, from someone in a leadership position uh, who's been doing this type of work over the past year, what that's been like, because everyone has their hover, even yeah. if they are potentially trying not to be one during this pandemic. Yeah. So all of us have been on Slack and Zoom and whatever. And so what has that felt like? Because it's definitely an issue that is not just tied to working with people in the same room. Absolutely. And you know, maybe what, what is that going to do uh, to the future of, of this monster Industry. we are now calling the hover? Yeah, one last thing. Kevin, where can people find you? Yes. Oh, uh, find me on Instagram at Kevin Tudball. How do you spell that's Tudball? That's about it. I'm, T-U-D-B-A-L-L. Yeah. Correct. Mm-hmm. I did it. There it at is. Kevin Tudball. Not on Twitter anymore, not on Facebook anymore. I just was not posting. So Instagram, find and, me. And uh, a pro tip, he has a sketch account too, which some people even think is even cooler than his actual account. So it's like yeah, the indie version of his Instagram account. And even even more pro tip that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you. I have a secret sketch account. Ooh, that yes. no one, no one oh, really knows. Guys, about. guys, <laughs> exclusive. <laughs> you, you just heard, heard it, it here. <laughs> if, if you can find me, you get a free print. No, just yeah. kidding. That's too many. Ooh. First person to find me and figure it out. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we're gonna hold them to it. We're gonna hold them to yeah. it. Great. All right, Kevin. <laughs> and we'll send is... a we'll send a sticker, a Monsters of Design sticker, in that too. Maybe even a shirt because those are coming Ooh. soon. Yeah, merch yeah, is coming. Maybe. Merch is um, on the way. It's gonna look. It's gonna look good. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin, you are a yeah. you are a gentleman and a scholar. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for having me. I hope and my ego wasn't too big for this episode. Okay. Just Amen. big enough. Just big enough. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody say anything. <laughs> Just silence. <laughs> Don't say it. Nobody think it. <laughs> um. Okay. So. Um. That that is our episode, I think. I think that's the episode. I think it was it was just big enough. Just big enough. Alright. So anyways. I think that'll do it. I can hear the music now. It's starting to play us out. It's starting to, you know, yeah. Here it comes. Here it comes. We'll see you next time, y'all. Bye. Bye.